I find it very good news that love knocks and waits for us to hear. We need that at times like this. Here we are on the morning of August 12th, 2018. We look back, we pause here in this present moment, and we go forward. We humans throughout history have needed love again and again when our hearts are breaking, when harm threatens us, when the way forward is not clear, when we feel helpless. Humans face such situations in the earliest of times, as we hear in the myths of ancient Greece, the parables from China, the stories of Native Americans, and other tales in human experience. We know about tragedies from news reports and history books in recent centuries. And I myself this week, trying to figure out how have other people made it through the first anniversary of a public trauma, I turned to ministers who serve other congregations who have been through public traumas. As just some examples, Knoxville endured a shooting 10 years ago. Santa Barbara endured wildfires last year. And Baton Rouge endured a complex summer two years ago. Hearing their story helps me reflect on our story. And I hope it will, you too. And I just want to ask, um, Aksha, can you turn the volume up on this, please? In the summer of 2016, in Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge experienced three distinct and muddled together traumas. The first was the police shooting death of Alton Sterling on July 5th and the militarized police response to the protests. The second was the killing of three law enforcement officers on July 17th. And the third was major flooding, such that 60 members of the congregation had water in their homes, and many became temporarily homeless. At the end of the summer, Baton Rouge Unitarian Universalists were battered and bruised, and they questioned their city, their police, their infrastructure. Some of them questioned their faith and their God. Does this sound familiar? And yet, two years later, someone said, one of the things you need to know about the people of Louisiana, they are so resilient, they are sick and tired of being called resilient. <laughs> one of the things that has helped them heal is storytelling. They put together a timeline on Facebook. They journaled about emotions. They made art together. They compiled photo essays, and they saved their children's art from during that time. All of these were put into a book that demonstrates the challenges the congregation faced and how they lived through that chapter. And that book is circulated to seminaries and to other congregations going through difficult times. Looking back, one of the ministers there asked the members of the congregation to give a name to that chapter in their lives, to give a name to that summer. And here are some of the suggestions that people gave as names for that experience. Summer from hell, 
deluge and despair. Summer of 350,000 lamentations. The summer that tore us apart and brought us together. The summer when Mother Nature and Father Justice collided with ignorance and delusion in Baton Rouge. Well now, here in our town, we refer to the events last year as August 12. In other parts of the country and world, they call it... Perhaps you have another name for it. Naming is important. Storytelling helps us heal. We have an opportunity today, this afternoon, in our sanctuary for you to tell your story to someone who is not from Charlottesville, someone who did not live through this. The pastoral visiting team in Richmond sent over two of their volunteers. I'm going to ask Patty and Barb to raise your hand. And they're going to be here this afternoon from 1230 to five. And they are just willing to let you tell your story to them if that would help. And there's another place that suffered a public trauma. In Oklahoma City in 1994, there was a bombing, and the First Unitarian Church was close enough to the federal building to have some of its windows blown out. Following the immediate aftermath came a second wave of trauma. Trauma and grief don't just go away. They come and go in waves. The church responded to this second wave by handing out buttons. There were two kinds of buttons. One said, tell me your story. The other said, listen to my story. If you can't come this afternoon and receive listening from other people, at least try in the social hall to ask someone their story or listen to their story. Now here in Charlottesville, this past year has been haunted by memories, flashbacks, news reports. And this is not unlike someone who has lost a loved one. Sometimes I give a pamphlet to families after death and it is called, What to Expect in the First Year of Grief. I kind of wish someone had given me a pamphlet like that last year. Although it is true that various social service groups tried to help people deal with the trauma, but still, many of us had had symptoms and struggled to see our way through. And one of the things about social services that try to help people through a hard time, sometimes the hard time can make a person so paralyzed or closed in that all those social services can't even reach them. And while it is a bit like the first year after death, it's not like the first year after death because we kept on wondering if they were going to come back. Although many of us, and I'm playing with this metaphor of is it like the loss of a loved one, in a way it is like the loss of a loved one because People grieve not only the loss of a loved one, but they grieve how they handled the situation. I have heard people say, I wish I visited my mother more before she died. Or I wish I had advocated more for my father in the hospital. Or I wish I had said this or that to my brother before he died. Or I wish I'd gone and been in that right place at that right time. 
And I hear those same kind of regrets and rumination and remorse as people look back to last year. Who in this town has not looked back and wondered if they could have done something differently? And yet, with any regret, we need to try to use the remorse to help us find new behaviors going forward. We need to forgive ourselves for what we did not do, or what we did, and then act going forward. If you felt helpless last year, I ask you, what have you learned about power or acceptance? If you felt delusioned last year that the police were not trustworthy, I ask you, how can you build community security? If you felt let down by friends that you thought would come through for justice last year, I ask you, how can you understand and move on? All of those involve grief and loss. All of them are real. And that means we need to accept that reality even if we don't approve of it. That allows us to move forward living with love. So here we are on the morning of August 12th, 2018. We look back. We pause here for a moment. We go forward. But the past year has not just been about what happened August 12th. Life goes on with its winding river, just like it has for all of human history. In the past year, right here among all of us, a school year began. A school year ended. Jobs were found and lost. Marriages were formed and dissolved. Babies have been born and not born. Illnesses have been diagnosed. Aging bodies continue to age. And all around the world, there have been moments of international joy and healing, as well as international despair and devastation. This is what humans have lived with throughout time. People have found so many ways to live their daily lives, even as a tragedy occurs. In May 1992, during the siege of Sarajevo, a mortar shell exploded at 4 p.m outside a bakery in the city where a long line of people were waiting to buy bread. 22 people were killed and hundreds more wounded. But despite the danger, the next day, hungry people once again lined up. Yet this day was different, for at 4 p.m., a man appeared and began playing the cello. He played a mournful, sad song called Adagio by Tommaso Albinoni. For the next 21 days, he came to the street in front of the bakery and played the music. <laughs> and there have been actions like this all over the world and here in our town. You know them. You have seen them. Some of you created them. They give hope. They do not fix everything. 
but they touch the human heart. So life goes on with its winding river. In this life, we need to figure out how to bless the things that have gone before, how to take the lessons, let go of what no longer serves us, and release. Sometimes that release is a quick and easy, mysterious grace. And sometimes that release is long, hard work. Over the last year, some of the people who were injured on August 12th have literally had to learn to walk again. This took work and patience. Physical therapy is not easy. And yet, with time, with the help of doctors, nurses, aides, friends, neighbors, physical therapists, some healing has occurred. The tissues of the body are programmed to mend and survive. So that's a metaphor. Whether the injury that you sustained last year was emotional, physical, or spiritual, healing is within our control to some degree. It takes discipline, it takes help from others, and it takes grace. So now, here we are on the morning of August 12th, 2018. We look back, we pause here for a moment, we go forward. Each of us had to choose in our own way how we would face this particular weekend of events yesterday and today. One message that we have heard is that silence is complicit. I have also heard debate about whether to stay safe as the highest priority. I have also heard gratitude for the police presence as well as anger and fear about the police presence. So as we hear these messages, let us look at the nuances. Silence has various forms and motives. Action has various forms and motives. On Friday, I spoke with a man who told me that his goal for the weekend was to avoid confrontation. I got the feeling that his particular life depended on it. If he needed to stay silent to stay alive, that is his unique choice to make. So how much in each situation is silence or speaking a priority? How much in each situation is safety or action a priority? If we stay in dialogue with each other, if we ask each other, what are your priorities? What are your reasons for doing what you're doing? We may learn a whole lot about our neighbors and the many different ways that people experience this world. We learn about what safety and risk mean to each person and about what silence and speaking up means in each situation. One person's priorities are not another person's priorities. Let's get curious about that.
So I told you earlier about the congregation in Baton Rouge. A woman there named Janina Fuller said, if I can offer one small bit of wisdom from this experience, here it is. Meet your neighbors. Get to know the people who work in the stores where you shop. Make time to learn something about your children's teachers, the people who groom your pets or your yard or your hair. When the next hurricane comes, or earthquake or flood or tornado or rock slide or fire or dust storm or tsunami, you may need them to save your life, or you might have to save theirs. Get to know them, especially the ones you don't like or don't agree with. They are all you and me. There is no they. There is only we. And so I ask myself, as I always ask myself, what is the role of the sacred here? How can we know if we are living at our spiritual best? A theologian named Teresa of Avila in the 1500s reflected this way. She said, love your neighbor. You cannot really know whether you love God. But you can have some idea whether or not you love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is not sentimental. It is justice-making work, looking at why some people are afraid of police and why some people are not, why some people have access to housing and some do not, why it is easier to look the other way. Action for creating safety for each person makes a difference in concrete, bricks, mortar, and policy. Again, I want to share with you from the Baton Rouge congregation. One of the ministers there wrote a letter to the editor in the middle of the crisis. He said, for my part, appeals to unite and come together and let there be peace on earth ring hollow just now. Even as I teach and preach nonviolence, even as I love to sing, let there be peace on earth. Yes, let there be peace, but not without justice. And he continued, we tragedy observers are actors also, and therefore must take an active role in bringing credible and transparent law enforcement reform to this parish and region. The nation is watching. Act well our parts. Mourn our dead. But let us not equivocate on issues of justice, truth-telling, and reform, because not one of us is exonerated. My friends, all over the globe, people are facing hunger, deportation, addiction, homelessness, lack of health care, and many other pressures that prevent them from thriving as members of the human family. A web of greed presses down, but that web can slowly be dismantled by small intentional acts and by great acts of truth-telling. Pick 
your tool if you have not already and continue your work side by side and sing some work songs while you're at it. To close this sermon, let us spend a moment in silence.